0: Welcome back to another week of the Word Slinger Podcast. This week we're talking with author Christian Brown about how cultural diversity can help inform your work. So stick around. It's the Word Slinger Podcast, where story matters. Build your brand. Write your book. Redefine who you are. It's all about the story here. What's yours now? Here's the guy who invented pants-optional, Kevin Tomlinson, the Word Slinger. Word Slinger. Well, I am Kevin Tomlinson, the Word Slinger. Thanks so much for tuning in to this week's episode. Um, if you're new to the show, welcome, and I hope you get something really useful out of this. Uh, we're going to be talking to Author Christian Brown. Oh, by the way, if you're not new to the show, welcome back. Uh, we're going to be talking to author Christian Brown about his work and the role of adversity in his fiction. Uh, I think you're going to get something really useful out of this. This is this was a fascinating interview. We first talked. First of all, I should say I owe Christian a huge apology uh, because in the uh, all the shifting and uh, everything that happened over the course of 2018, I actually recorded this interview with him way back in April 2018. Uh, We're now in February February 1st of of, uh, 2019, and uh, unfortunately, well, okay, we had a scheduled hiatus for the holidays, but before that, I had a little technical glitch that put us off for a good month and a half, uh, and with other interviews already stacked up, it just got out of hand. So Christian, I apologize that this is going out so late Uh, for everyone else. I think you're going to get some really interesting insights in this. Now stick around afterward, I'm going to be chatting about something I think everybody's kind of interested in, has questions about. I'm going to be talking mostly about uh, some of the things I've done with my mailing list and uh, the results of the recent launch of my new book, uh, The Stepping Maze. Uh, I got some really interesting insight I think you're going to dig, so stick around for that. And otherwise, enjoy this interview with Christian Brown. Hey, everybody. Thank you for tuning in. Okay, I, I love getting repeat guests. Um, I love when I reconnect with, with old good friends now. Uh, <laughs> and this time I'm talking to Christian Brown. He is in the, uh, he's an author of speculative fiction, which is an incredibly difficult thing for me to say, Christian. Um, but <laughs> you last heard Christian on ep- ep- way back on episode 52, man. Those were way early back, days yeah. of the Word Slinger podcast. How have you been since then?
1: Uh I've been good. Really good. Yeah. yeah things are good. Ups and downs. You must we're be, man. They really really really
0: featured you day. in uh Publishers Weekly.
1: They did. That was that was a, a pretty pretty big high and I had uh uh Huffington Post did a review, a favorable one. Uh, yeah. Obviously. Good. <laughs> good. good. Uh, Since you brought it up. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so there's been a lot of really really good stuff happening with the series lately. But just sort of my own profile. Yeah.
0: So uh just to just to bring everybody up to speed, um you write speculative fiction. You primarily you, you've been writing fantasy. Is that right?
1: Yeah, sort of like dark fantasy. I guess uh, one of one of the nicer things the fans said was like uh, Game of Thrones, where everyone's. Are we allowed to swear on this? Can we swear?
0: Let's go lightly.
1: All right. Well, everyone's not such a jerk. We'll say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And that's kind of true. Like it has the the story has those same sort of lessons on morality and you know capitalism and sort of the the ravaging of the earth, but it's done in a much nicer, uh, softer touch way, I guess. Even yeah. though really yeah. horrible things do happen at certain points.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, it, as things do. I mean, as that's, they do, that's, right? Yeah. yeah. So you're um, now the article uh, in Publishers Weekly was uh, was about, uh, and I'm I'm guessing the Huff Post article was all about the. Uh, how you're bringing diversity into uh, your fiction. Uh, and we talked a little bit about that in your last interview. but We did. Yeah you know, how, how are some of the ways in which you're bringing diversity into your fiction?
1: Well, I mean, the, the old writer's adage is, you know, write what you know. Um, and so I've always known sort of uh, adversity and struggle. And like I come from a biracial family and we had a burning cross on our lawn when I was very young. Yeah. This is in Barrie, which is a relatively, you know, non-backwater town. Uh, this would only be about twenty, you know. Oh God, I guess I'm getting old now. This would be quite, <laughs> quite a while ago, but still, you know, within within a generation. Um,
0: You're gonna so, soon. So, soon, when you tell this story, it's gonna, it's just gonna be when I was a kid. When I you was know- young. There's no time frame. Here.
1: Like, I don't know where the time has gone, but uh, I'm turning 40 this year. So, uh, but anyway, so, so, you know, those sorts of experiences, um, you know, and even going back to my father's generation, like, uh, my grandmother was Russian Ukrainian and she married a man from down south, uh mm-hmm. U.S. citizen, actually, uh, James Brown, not the jazz singer, <laughs> not the <laughs> RB singer. But, um, you know, and so you can imagine what they went through in in the 40s and 50s growing up with a mixed race family um so so we've we've had in our like not just racial diversity but i also am gay uh so that you know throws another monkey wrench in the whole (laughs) yeah yeah. collective pot of 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 stuff the world can throw at you and uh i happen to uh, fall in love and marry a uh metis uh amputee And again, these are not choices I made because I'm some sort of diversity chaser. Um, It just so happened, you know, I fell in love with this person and I didn't realize until after we'd sort of, you know, been going out for a while and and, uh, they didn't have a leg. (laughs) Really? Yeah. I mean, like, because people are ashamed of these things, so they hide them.
0: Yeah. Uh, Yeah.
1: And then, of course, when I found out, I'm like, so, you know?
0: Right. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, by that point, it really doesn't matter. Uh, it Doesn't matter,
1: you know. You've already sort of fallen for the person, and yeah, uh, you're connecting. That's what matters, you know. Yeah. And eventually, we're all going to be decrepit and broken down, anyways. So
0: <laughs> Speak for yourself man. I'm only, I'm
1: only, <laughs> well, that's true. Actually, I'm, I'm only getting, I'm getting only,
0: finer with age. Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> but um, you know, so so I've always had that history of 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 dealing with marginalization. Um, you know, and my mother, who was a huge inspiration to me and to my work. Um, you know, she was a we were not a very rich family but she and she had to drop out of school when she had us just so that because uh, that's what women did back in the day um but she went back to law school after you know my parents built up a small brokerage and she set some money aside and she went back to law school at the age of 47 and this is mm-hmm. queens which is pretty prestigious up here in canada um and, and she went back to law school and uh, rather than you know then go into some sort of uh obviously very Lucrative type of corporate law. She became a public guardian and trustee uh, Which is essentially someone who takes care of the legal affairs of people who can't take care of themselves. So Mm -hmm. uh, prostitutes immigrants uh, People that are non-native speakers to to of English, you know as this is what she chose to do with her prestigious law degree and uh, She did that for a number of years until she became sick herself and required care um so, so you know, I have all these these influences of, you know, my mother, you know, my grandmother before her, obviously my very strong men in terms of my fathers who fought against, you know, my father and grandfather who fought against any number of adversities by being black men trying to just make it in the world. Right. And, uh, you know, these are the forces that have shaped me. So, when I was writing fiction, it just was very natural to me to have a world that had, you know, this, this, this tapestry of of voices and opinions and and sexualities and whatever else. It just so happens that these days that is, you know, the new hotness. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Everybody's yeah. looking for it now, but it's like, I've been writing this for, you know, 10, 12 years. Uh, so, so, so those sorts of things coincided. And, and I think that's why um, my work has had such a favorable light lately, which I'm tremendously grateful for, that, yeah. that we actually celebrate these things these days.
0: So how, how do you write fiction uh, with that material, and not make it entirely about that material like you, you still want to have a story a good story where there are characters who change from that's, a,
1: that's a fantastic question and I, I wrote this blog post about um i can't remember what exactly what it was called but it was about you know how not to make just diversity as, as a as a you know just as a buzz phrase in your writing because you should right, never write right. like there, there's no checklist you shouldn't okay i've got you know the the Afro-Indigenous lesbian in a wheelchair, so check. Like, you can right. never write like that because it's ridiculous and you just build caricatures. And you can always tell these sort of design-by-committee books that are coming out, now, and I've read a few of them, and I'm not gonna disparage people by naming them, but you can say, okay, and that was obviously, that hit, you know, uh, a focus group, and they said, we need more colored people, we need more of this, and it's like, you know, mm-hmm. you don't write a story that way, you write a story as you suggested based upon the story. And I think another way to write authentically diverse characters Is when you write them, you have to show, you can't just show the strength, you can't just show the empowerment of how wonderful it is being a person of color or a woman or because that's not real. You Mm -hmm. need to show the bad stuff too. You need to show why this person is fighting and why they're powerful because you become powerful in the presence of antagonism, not in the absence in the absence you're just sort of existing in this you know blithable existence but you know so so i think that's another important thing is when you're writing authentic characters obviously don't go by checklist let them fall into the story as they may and show the negative like show what they what they struggle against show the insecurity show the fears that's how you draw real people um rather than just showing these sort of these they become caricatures of of you know virtue and strength and I don't think that's believable and you can kind of you can identify that now in writing or in pop culture where you're like yeah you tried a bit too hard with that yeah <laughs> you know
0: it kind of it, it does kind of bug me when I see, especially on television and on television the, they have the most ham-fisted way of, of yeah. jamming diversity into yeah, so just a program into
1: something, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah,
0: which and I you know it, and it's difficult it's difficult to criticize that as as a straight white Christian male, uh, because I can't, I can't say anything that's not going to come off like I'm against the diversity. When I, well,
1: that's the thing, we should still be able to critique. Like, I think, right. I think yes, it, it's very important that those that representation is there. That's step one, and then I think moving beyond that, we need to work on the refinement of that representation. So, like, make yeah. sure it's authentic, and that's that's the most important thing. Because yeah, you do see a lot of networks. It's very popular. Let's just jam all the diversity in there that we can. Right we're done, <laughs> you yeah, know, right. it doesn't stop there because it's not, it doesn't ring true. And so you have, you know, viewers like you or I, or, or even the more important viewers, the people, the kids that are growing up, that are, that are actually, you know, products of diversity that are struggling with these questions themselves. And they see these right. caricatures, They're like, is that how I'm supposed to be? Exactly. And you know, right,
0: <laughs> right. Yeah, so. That's the thing I worry about. Like I, I, I worry about, you know, if you're watching, if you're watching something or reading something and there's this ham fisted, Approach, you know, does it? it, That's that's going to have the wrong influence. And
1: it is like it's positive that it's there. it's negative that it's not accurate.
0: Right. Yes, that's 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 why I feel about.
1: I think that's totally fine. I think I think you can love something. I mean, uh, this is slightly off topic, but like next week I'm going to go into a rant on my blog about how much I dislike season two of Jessica Jones. (laughs) Love the show. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Love the authenticity of last season. Hated this season, you know, but it's just like you can love something and still critique it. And I think that's, that's honestly where the best critiques come from is when they, when they have a bit of heart behind them and you're not just trying to be rude. Right.
0: Right. Yeah. I, uh, I had mixed, mixed emotions about season two of Jessica Jones. It was, you know, it yeah. wasn't great. <laughs> yeah, that's the
1: thing. It wasn't great, you know. Right. First season was fantastic. Second season, it's like, I think the blog I'm working on is called What Happened? (laughs) Like Jessica Jones season two. What happened? You know, it's not (laughs) terrible, it's watchable, it's serviceable, checks all the boxes again but there's some really like weird red flags in it and just some, some, some pacing issues. Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, anyways. So I, I mean, I could, I could go on to a rant about that. No. You know. And then, and then, and that,
0: <laughs> that ties in though, because we are storytellers, you and I both, yeah. we, we, we write fiction. So we are looking at the craft of storytelling and we can see when it goes off the rails. It's kind of important that we are able to identify why Absolutely. something went off the rails. Um, so what do you do to kind of keep that sword sharp?
1: in my own work Hi. i have pretty brutal editors so i mean i think they they mentioned that in the publisher's weekly piece because they were like oh you know indie author blah 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 And i'm proudly indie but i've always treated my books with the same degree of professional uh and editorial critique as anyone else so it's like they get four rounds of editing um well three rounds of editing and then one round of just proofing and copy reading uh, from different sources. Every time I have a structural editor, I have a uh, copy and then a line editor. Um, so they're pretty groomed and, and I'm used to, to getting like some, some nasty feedback. Cause my, my ideology is if I'm, I'd rather get the the terrible feedback yeah. from, you know, a professional, than the terrible feedback from 100 Amazon reviewers. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, what the hell are you thinking? This is awful, right? So right. it's like, just rip off the Band-Aid, find, find like the, the most, you know, you know nitpicky. And and because it's, again, it's from a place of love and critical mm-hmm. person you can to get that first and second draft out of the way because you really want them to be strong. So, so that's one of the things I always have them check for is some of the stuff I just complained about there, like, you know, pacing, authenticity, um, especially when you're writing women and when you're writing women of color, women of diversity as a man, you can always go off the mark there. So it's mm-hmm. like, you know, and, and love scenes are another thing too. It sounds like such a weird thing, but I think there's, uh, I don't know, about five like actual sex scenes in the yeah. entire series. But I want to make sure that they, you know, they're accurate. I want to make sure I'm not just talking about things in a ham fisted way. Um, I'm reminded of that. I think it was Robert Ludlum who did this. Uh, one of his infamous love scenes was uh, within five minutes. They were lovers. <laughs> <laughs> but That's it. You read it, and you're like, okay, wait, was that was that sex? Is that what happened? Let's have it a year. So you know, but you want to make sure that you don't you don't you know write uh, anything that's too hokey.
0: I I kind of um, like that. I kind of I kind of like how you know that's just it's encapsulated. It's <laughs> <laughs>
1: It happened, you know. Yeah. but but I read I, I read that and I'm like, and then I was an adult, like looking back on that, I'm like, okay, well, you know. So within five minutes they were lovers. So so what what is she thinking about this whole thing right now? is <laughs> she, <laughs> she like you know I gotta go like you know? Um,
0: and with, within five more minutes they were smokers. Um, <laughs> 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 we're so after, pretty sure. Yeah. So. Uh, what about um this is a topic that comes up a lot. Uh, cultural appropriation. So mm. the big worry I think uh for. For me and for a lot of authors, if we're going to try to write uh, diversity into our work, uh, that's a that's a concern. It's a it's a kind of hot button, in, and sometimes the argument irritates me uh, because yeah. I I don't want it to come down to I don't have the right to write a scene from a female perspective or uh, the perspective of an African American or a gay character. You know, yeah. what, what's your take on that?
1: So. I mean, I'm a bit lucky, you know, biracial. I'm black and right, Russian. Right. I've got I- indigenous in me. So I kind of have the carte blanche. I'm a bit lucky. You're just know. saying, However,
0: your answer is be born right.
1: <laughs> that, you, know, that, you know, but, but that, the thing is, it's like I, I don't agree with that either. I don't agree that that suddenly makes me immune to criticism or means right. I can just do whatever I want, you know, without, without uh, checking myself um again if you're coming from a place of love and kindness and you have good editors you can avoid a lot of those pitfalls and obviously if you're writing about something that you really want to like like if you're writing about like let's say sci-fi or fantasy and you have this indigenous culture that very closely mimics um one of our present-day cultures then you need to sort of ensure accuracy or you distance it farther enough from Mm. it that it can't really be no comparatives can be drawn those are your options there but i mean yeah I think we need to loosen up on that a little bit. As long as it's not like you know, um, oh, this is. I was watching because we're in hotels. There's nothing to watch TV. I was watching uh, Real Housewives of New York the other day, yeah. and uh, this <laughs> one shows up as as Diane Ross, um, total blackface on. So like you know, <laughs> when you do like, yeah. like 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 blackface, like that level of of personal, you know gauchness is is apparent and i think that any any self-conscious writer and we're all very self-conscious would know when they write something and they're like "Ooh, that's cringeworthy but i mean uh, when you're writing fantasy and sci-fi you're going to appropriate and you're going to to take all these things that you've seen and put your own spin on them that's very very common you know you look at star trek you look at game of thrones you look at any of these major series and it's like you can see where they've drawn from real life cultures right And, and regardless of how as long as there's a certain distance, you're not really offended by it.
0: Right. So. Yeah. 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 I, I, I'm rarely ever offended by anything I, I read unless it's just out and out. You know, anyone would find yeah. it offensive, you know? But. <laughs> <laughs> I think
1: mean, it's hard though. Cause I mean like the political climate in the U S and, and, yes. and, and we well, overseas cause there's Brexit and right. People are just really, really, really hypersensitive about, about everything. And yeah. you find extremists on both sides of the argument, you know, like there's, it's, it's very difficult to be a moderate thinker in these days. Yeah. Um, a lot of us, I think, at heart are moderates. A lot of people just want peace and they don't really want people fighting over differences. Um, so it's, it's tricky. And uh, I don't know, just do your best. And,
0: uh, and, and know that someone out there is, is going to be offended and you just have to decide it's not personal.
1: Uh what was it Terry Pratchett? It's not worth doing unless someone somewhere would rather you didn't.
0: Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Exactly.
1: But someone's always going to be offended. That's yeah. you know I, I, yeah.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. That's my experience. So you um <laughs> <laughs> you are uh, in the, I love that you put it this way. You said you're you're I think you put it this way, that you are uh proudly indie. Um you uh have you Considered? Are you? Have you ever been courted for uh, traditional or anything? Have you considered uh, going this route? There's stuff
1: happening right now that I don't know that I can quite talk about, but you know, but that's like five years, six years in. Um, I, I always set out to do this on my own because I was always kind of a self-starter. Right. I, I just hate listening to other people. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I was not very, very you. good in high school for that reason, <laughs> but I got, I got good grades, but I just did not like teachers, or I, I don't function well under Mm under the yoke of of someone else so you know um yeah indie was a really 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 good choice for me and i'm also pretty prolific like i write a lot so i'm very good at setting my own deadlines and my own schedule and and it just worked out well for me um and uh yeah there's there's just there's a lot to be said about the freedom of of just being able to to be your own artist
0: right yeah so you wouldn't consider a, uh, oh, you said you, you can't talk about you. it. Well, Yeah. I mean,
1: the thing is, it's like, uh, I I have never not been receptive to traditional right. publishing. I think that's a really fantastic, um, angle for some people to pursue. It just wasn't the angle that I would pursue. Right. Um, you know, and I was always worried whether or not that's true or not. I mean, to some degree, I think it is to some degree, I think it's just fear, but of having my vision compromised. And I think mm-hmm. the, the the one beauty of independent uh, publishing is that you really are putting out exactly what you want to put out. Um, and I, I don't think that, that kind of freedom is, is is very important to me.
0: Yeah. Uh, you, um, you, uh, you, obviously you would have a lot more pull now if someone did approach you. Yeah. Or do you feel that way?
1: Yeah. I mean, cause I've already, the other thing too is I've already built a brand. So, I mean, it's very easy for someone to just come in and say, Oh, that's cool. Let's pick that up. Right. Um, and I, I think that's, that's all part of, of, of being indie too, is you need to have that sort of like, yeah, like 90%, not 90 probably about 75% of it's creative, 25% of it's business. You need to sort of have that plan. And my partner was really, really influential in that regard. He's big. Uh, he worked his way up from like this crappy little data management job to, um, you know, uh, uh divisional uh, director for province of Ontario so I mean I mean he really understands business and then he helped me out with that a lot just in terms of structuring the stuff I did when I wasn't writing um, mm-hmm. so I think that's really important too is, is to, to work on the business savvy aspect because there's a lot you can do yourself and then you know there's also a lot you should just find professionals to do for you
0: right yeah yeah
1: so I think we might have talked about that last time too is yeah, like, no, yeah we did. Like, yeah. Yeah. Professionals, they're there to help. And there's a lot right. of independent contractors in the industry now, a lot of editors and proofreaders and whatever else. And yeah, it's good to get your friends and, you know, your grandfather to do it. But if you can afford a tiny bit of money, put that in now because that's an investment in you. Right.
0: So. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Particularly editors, uh, cover designers, you know, there are things, yeah. you know, you, you, there are those rare few who, and I'm, I'm just, I'm sorry. I'm one of those uh, <laughs> uh, who can design <laughs> their <laughs> own covers. <nothing. laughs> you know, the thing is though, I, I say things like that and I've made plenty of mistakes. I've had to learn the hard way on a lot of things. And I think you could save yourself a lot of heartache, time and trouble if you did go out and just hire a designer. But, hire. I
1: but again, I mean, if, if you can do it and you do do it, like, like your covers are beautiful. Like, I mean, if you can do that stuff, then why wouldn't you? Right. But right. You can't do that you know you're probably not going to learn in the next, you know, year. <laughs>
0: right. Contract right. it out
1: to someone else. You know? and, if you've, and
0: if you've got to slice time off of the writing to learn how to do those things, just, just stick with the writing. Yeah.
1: <laughs> that's true. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So, uh, so what's coming up, man? What do you um, – you've got – how many books you got out right now?
1: There's three out. Uh, there's four and five are coming, and that's the yeah. end of that arc. So it's a total of about 100, no, sorry, 1.25 million words. Very nice. Yeah, it's done. But uh, I just, I, I'm kind of in a period, my first period of professional sort of crash where I just don't want to write anything. <laughs> like, <laughs> really, it's been since January. I'm just like, I just don't, like, I'll write my blogs and I'm working on a couple articles and stuff, but it's like, I just don't want to write. I don't want to go back into my world right now. Yeah. Um, but it's in the hands of the editors. You're going to get one book this year and then one book early next year. Um, I'm working on, uh, cause I've done some really, really cool collaborations, um, with, uh, this, this artist that I work with. Um, so we're going to do like a coffee table book of all of his, all of his pieces and some, some prose and stuff attached to that. And, uh, I wanted to do just a small graphic novel, um, piece in between so probably after the the last book releases there'll be those there'll be the coffee table book and then probably a graphic novel and then i'll get back to some more serious work
0: so the graphic novel are you uh are you teaming with that same artist or or do you have some yeah yeah that's an advantage i i would love one of my bucket list items is to write comics and graphic novels and i i what's amazing to me is i'm connected to so many comic book writers um for whatever reason over the years i've just connected with a with hundreds of them. Um, never once have I approached any of them and say, hey man, let me know the next time you've got, yeah, yeah <laughs> and you need a little break or something. Let me pin a script I for you. I think it's man.
1: nice to, like, when I mean, you have like a, like the, the world of Gadain, you know, it's a really rich world and it's got a billion characters. And it's nice to sort of flesh out those little side stories, the stuff that isn't necessarily like some dense, you know, book, like either a novella or I'm gonna do a comic book in this sense graphic novel story um yeah it's 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 just nice to have just a, a whole media uh package i guess for for your fans so
0: yeah that is uh, very cool yeah yeah so uh have you done anything like that before
1: okay well when i was very young i wrote this um i wrote this comic like i was probably oh god 10 12 well like this ninja it's like, this, like do you remember those? Um, it's kind of like cross between an Ewok and a gremlin. Like, okay. Uh, it was like this ninja space creature. <laughs> I mean, that's about as far as my experience goes. So obviously, there's I'm not I'm not jumping into it, being like, oh, I can do this. It's like I'm going to work on the storyboard, uh, mm-hmm. the artist, and then his designer, who have actually done the panels and stuff before, are going to handle the rest. So I'm just basically going to do the script uh, and the writing of the dialogue, uh, and then they're going to do the rest.
0: That's very cool. So,
1: yeah again yeah do what you know contract out the rest right.
0: <laughs> right, exactly yeah. yeah yeah that's very cool yeah and that's something uh i've thought about that's i, I think a lot of uh, a lot of writers i know have thought about doing something like that so i'll be interested i'll I, like, keep me up to date man yeah. Gonna... yeah yeah
1: i mean i think too like just from a from a work perspective it's nice to do something again uh, lighter, you know, in between these these really really heavy projects, we sometimes involve ourselves in. So right. that's why I'm gonna try with these two things, see if they give me a bit of a creative, um, like keep the creativity going, but just give me a bit of a, a break, I guess.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, I'm I'm right there with you, man. I this this the current book. Once I'm done, this will be five books in that series. I'm gonna take just a short oh, wow. break, and uh and do maybe some short fiction or something, and just breathe. Yeah. and then come breathe back bit. Yeah. So. Yeah important to recharge <laughs> yeah
1: yeah no totally yeah
0: uh, and and on that note i mean what do you uh so what do you do to kind of in you know charge your batteries and inform your fiction and you know what is it you're into uh,
1: i've exercise junkie still mm-hmm. so i think we uh, maybe have talked about that last time but always been obsessed with health and fitness um probably gonna start streaming some workouts and stuff soon I get like these, I get fan mail now that are like, you know, Hey, what do you do for your workout? Cause I'm on Instagram a little bit. Um, and uh, so I'll probably start doing some workout tips and stuff. Um, I was actually a uh, background in kinesiology and I was a personal trainer before I did this for, for oh, 12, 12 years. Um, so that's, that's, that's like my thing that, that, you know, after I wake up, I have my tea, uh, go down to the gym for a good hour and a half, um, probably five to seven days a week. And yeah. uh yeah, that's that centers me. Um and then beyond that, um, just usual kind of guy stuff. I do like my video games. Mm-hmm. Um, I do like car shows. Uh, <laughs> that's cool. I like uh I, I play the occasional sport, summer dependent. Um and uh I read when I can, not as much as I should. But yeah, yeah that's pretty much it.
0: Yeah. Yeah, so get out, cool.
1: get out and about. We have a we have a great city here in Toronto. So it's a ton of stuff to do. So there's always like venues and yeah, museums and galleries and yeah. So
0: yeah, I've I've that's been to Toronto. I I really liked it. I, I next time I'm there, I'll have to remember that you're there. <laughs> it's like
1: a smaller New York. Like if you've been to New York, it's like yeah. it's like less less noisy, definitely. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, that's true. That was my impression of it as well. I I kind of yeah. felt like. It was Queen. Manhattan very, very light.
1: Canadian New York. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> very polite. Everyone says thank you.
0: Yes. So,
1: yeah.
0: Very cool. Yeah. So uh, your your husband, your partner, I don't know. Yeah. You referred to him as... No, as we're you...
1: married. We've been married for six years.
0: Okay. Yeah, so so uh, how does he feel about your work? Were you uh, writing and publishing when you guys met?
1: No. So I, I'd always had this little, like, scribble of a manuscript, I think it's about 100 pages. My mom became sick in 2010 uh, with lymphoblastic lymphoma and uh, stage four when she got it. And so we all kind of scrambled. I ended up being, I quit personal training and I was her primary caregiver. And uh, we were, you know, basically she was in the hospital for six months at a time. And then when she was out, she stayed with us. And so I was taking care of her a lot, and uh, I used that time off of work to write. And my partner was tremendously supportive. So basically, mm-hmm. there was about a year and a half actually, two years she passed away after a year and a half. Um, and then I just was not in the state to really do anything for about like six months, except for write, strangely enough. And um, yeah, so he basically took care of us the whole time. Uh, and we burned through a lot of the savings I had made as a, I was pretty successful as a personal trainer. Um, and yeah, it just carried us the whole way. So it uh, supports me 100%. That's not even, yeah. that and I think that's one of the things about partnership though and marriage is that's what you do. Like when someone, right. you know, drops the slack, you pick it up. That's what you do. Right. You support each other. Um, and it's not going to be balanced all the time, but, you know, it, it'll find a balance eventually. Uh so he's been behind me hundred percent. He's always like uh, spamming my blogs and stuff on social media. <laughs> <laughs> uh, got a book club. This is way back in the day, like when I, you know, was just sort of getting a profile and he got a book club down in his hometown for me and um uh, just really, really supportive amazing guy. So yeah.
0: That's cool. Book club, that's neat. I uh yeah. It, it's a book club about your work or is it just a general book it club? Was,
1: well, he got me into the, like the Sault Ste. Marie book club. So, okay. Sault Ste. Marie is like, okay. So it's like, there's echo Bay where he's from, which is a town of 2000 people. Um, and then echo Bay is like the city nearby, the big city that has, I think uh, 50,000 or so now it's got more okay. now, but at the time it was very, very small. So, so yeah. And that's another important thing too, I think for any, you know, a, aspiring or starting out in the office, like just, get in anywhere you can. So right. even if it's a small town book club, who cares? You will make fans and friends that will last a lifetime. in
0: your time. Yeah. Here. That's, so. that is very good advice. People are, uh, people always ask me uh, particularly like, you know, cause the advice is always start a mailing list or something, you know, uh, get, get a mailing list going and people will ask how, and that's, that's, that would actually be one of the ways you could start, you know, totally to get people you're not related to on your, uh, on your mailing list and people know and he, other people and
1: yeah, yeah it's it's all about the the, the networking and i know that, that you know a lot of authors um are, are kind of naturally you know thinkers and, and introverts so i understand that that's kind of scary to some people They're like oh we gotta get out but that's what you gotta do you gotta put yourself out there and, and meet people and you know yeah, yeah. everyone your work is quite possibly a fan
0: yeah, that's true. That's true. So, um, let's, uh, I want to go ahead and wrap us up and uh, I want to make sure people know where to find your work, man. Uh, so other than joining that book club, where can people find your, uh, <laughs> find your stuff?
1: Uh, so probably the easiest portal is just go to my website, uh, www.christianadrianbrickround.com. So I'd right. head there uh, There's a cool trailer you can sign up for that newsletter that everyone's that's <laughs> right, A hot newsletter. But you can sign up for the newsletter, it's a pretty cool. Newsletter, actually, you get uh, some exclusive. I do like one Kindle giveaway every quarter, and uh, I also do some exclusive uh, wallpapers and stuff you can't find elsewhere. So that's pretty cool. Um, pretty cool. Yeah, so there's so sign up for that, and uh, there's you can find in the store all the links where you can get uh, either retail or e versions of my books.
0: Outstanding, so, man yeah all right and uh of course uh links to all that stuff are going to be in the show notes of this episode so make sure you check that out uh christian man i'm glad you could come back man it's good to reconnect. Uh, we kind of yeah. we kind of pass in the night every now and then on twitter etc but it's it's good to be able to chat with you again man.
1: Yeah, it's been years. It's, it's good that we're both sort of moving. So that's
0: nice. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, everybody, uh, right now you're probably hearing the Groovy Bridge music. So You just hang out. Uh, you can dance in place at will. And uh, we'll have some industry news and other stuff uh, just to keep you all up to date and informed. Christian, thanks again for being on the show, man. Hear your book the way it was meant to be heard. With a fully custom soundtrack based on your material. An album of music that perfectly fits your characters, your settings. Hear your book today. SonataInscribe.com. Well, I hope you enjoyed that interview with Christian. I know I did. Um there's uh there was a lot there, and I know we talked about a range of things, but I was really interested in the cultural diversity angle. Uh, Just because I know it's actually kind of a controversial topic sometimes. It's a real hot topic um, in the writing community. Uh, There's this idea of cultural appropriation. Uh, I don't want to get into that too much. I I don't really... um, The whole cultural appropriation thing doesn't really resonate with me. Uh, But that's me. (laughs) So The thing is, we all have um, our sort of ties to and our avenues to... Uh, a perspective of cultural diversity. Um, we can look around at these. I, I'm a huge fan of anthropology, which is the literal study of culture and humanity. Uh, I use that to inform my archaeological thrillers all the time. And there's so much for us to learn from that. And our perspectives on the various cultures of the world and the, the various uh, forms of diversity in the world can actually help I think, close the gap that's been forming. Uh, We've been in a very divisive um, environment for the past few years, uh, particularly since Trump was elected. I know there's some really strong feelings on both sides of Trump's election, Um, but I think that we can help start to help heal some of the division in our world if we start looking at embracing other cultures and start expressing our perspective on those cultures. I think in sharing... We're able to uh to grow we're able to i like this idea of of uh you know using cultural diversity as a way to you know grow and and, and as a way to uh inform our perspective and allow us to uh see things from a different point of view that that could be cathartic and healing so <clears throat> there's that now um hold on I'm gonna hit my cough and clear my throat sorry about that so I told you I was going to talk about my uh my newsletter strategy and uh the launch of uh my new book The Stepping Maze and uh I am going to talk about that. So <laughs> here's here's how things shook out. First of all, I don't know how knowledgeable the audience is in general uh when it comes to the idea of what we call a marketing funnel. Um but that's something I'm going to I'm going to fall back on uh, quite a bit in this this conversation so let's get some basics out of the way just in case uh, if you're if you already know this stuff I apologize if we're backtracking on you a little but um, maybe there'll be something in this that'll help you as well <clears throat> but the general idea here is um, I am among those who feel that the email newsletter is still the most powerful form of marketing here's my reasoning for that I um I Because you control that audience, you're able to, uh, have a relationship with them and you can better influence, um, your work your career and your success because of that relationship. So let me expand on that. (laughs) Uh, if I advertise on say Facebook or Amazon or Google, um, I am in their system and I'm reaching an audience they control. So I spend money and time and i do some experimentation and i'm i'm basically um constantly adjusting so that i can understand the variables that are going to help me reach an audience that i need to reach through this this controlled platform through this channel facebook in particular we'll look at facebook because facebook ads are very popular with the self-publishing crowd so as a uh as a self-published author if i want to reach an audience that i know demographically, I know that they're gonna like my work. I know that if they like Dan Brown or if they like Steve Barry or other authors you know Ernest Dempsey or Nick Thacker who are um fans of of archaeological thrillers right there these guys are writers of archaeological thrillers if the reader likes that kind of story, I know how to reach them through Facebook because I can target <clears throat> now that's good, but it uh it, it's not entirely under my control. Um, I can get pretty fine with that. I can do some pretty fine uh, uh, targeting with that. And that's great. And I can reach people I probably won't reach otherwise. But it, it's still sort of, you know, I'm, I'm casting a net. <laughs> I'm trying to get those people in. I feel personally that it is a less effective tool for sales, for generating sales. But I think it's a great tool for adding to people to your mailing list for finding people who would be interested in following you. uh, Which is how I've used, I've chosen to start using Facebook ads in particular in that way. Um, Amazon ads are different, they're geared towards sales because of the environment they're in. Um, That's a whole other thing. But I've concentrated my efforts on building and growing my mailing list for the past few years and I think it's paying off. So here's the idea, the basics, the 101 of marketing email marketing for authors. <laughs> we're we're going to talk about what we call a funnel. <clears throat> and if you don't know what this is, the, there are a lot of ways to approach this. Um, the most basic way is if you picture a funnel, and uh, it's you know it's wide open at the top, narrow at the bottom. The idea is to capture as many uh, incoming readers, potential readers, as possible in the top of that funnel. And then you start narrowing things down, nurturing them until they make a sale, or until you make a sale and they make a purchase. Um, <clears throat> you can do that in a number of ways. There's autoresponders are part of this process at times. Uh, you don't always have to use autoresponders. Um, that's part of engagement. There's, there's a, there are a lot of directions we can go with this, but I'm trying to keep this on a pretty basic level. So when these, when these new potential readers, we'll call them leads, this is what the marketing term for these folks, they are leads. When they come in <clears throat> and they become part of your funnel, you, uh, you wanna establish a rapport with them. You wanna have a relationship with them. Uh, and we call that, generally we call that engagement. You want good engagement with the people who are in your funnel. That engagement will lead to uh, more sales. Um, now, the process of getting from, you know, getting into the funnel and getting to the sale, can vary, <laughs> but uh, in general, I mean, just having them on your list and, and keeping them engaged uh, means that when you make your call to action or your sales pitch, uh, you'll get better results. So, the way I've approached my marketing funnel uh, in the past was to offer a free book. I offered uh Coilo Medallion, which was the first book in my Dan kotler thrillers, and uh, that's great. But what I what I've discovered is Through offering that on my website, um, as well as through services like, you know, Instafreebie, which is now something else. This is the danger of of (laughs) renaming your your brand, by the way. people forget what it's called. Uh, Formerly Instafreebie, and I can't remember what it's called now, and I don't use them anymore. Uh, Partly because of that reason. But uh, leads that came in through that service... Leads that came in when I offered the book for free through some paid services, I paid thousands of dollars to uh, to get people onto my mailing list by offering them a free book. Just Basically, I paid thousands of dollars to have a service uh, promote me and market me to a list that was looking for free books. So the problem is the, that these folks end up being what I call unqualified leads. And what I mean by that is... Um, they're coming in or they may be misqualified leads would, may, would might be a better, um, description of this, but when they come in, they came in because they they want that free book. Some of these folks just go from service to service and list to list just to get free books. And they never respond to a single email afterwards. In fact, a lot of the p- folks that I got on my list of these paid services ended up marking me as spam, which hurt me, um, in a couple of ways with, uh, Amazon web services. So, um, that you don't want that. (laughs) So these are unqualified or misqualified leads. Um, they are folks who are coming in looking to get free books. And if you're going to be offering a supply of free books pretty regularly, that works great. But, um, I haven't yet found a way to pay my bills and buy my groceries by giving books away. (laughs) <laughs> so uh, I need people to buy these books. So one of the first things I needed to do was overhaul my sales, my uh, marketing funnel. And uh, to do that, I decided I would write a short story. I wrote a short story called "The Janai Sigil." Uh, you don't have to worry about <laughs> either of those terms. Uh, it's just the I thought it, was, it sounded great, and I, knew, and I work them into the story. Um, so I wrote this original short story. It's, it's actually quite long. It's about 13,000 words, which is about a you know quarter of a length of uh, just about a quarter of a length of, of most of my novels. I write between 60 and 70,000 words for most novels. Kind of short for thrillers, actually, uh, but I find my audience likes that. It makes them feel fast-paced. So whole other topic. But um, so what I did was I wrote this short story. I, I created a cover for it. I made I branded it to look just like my books. And the first thing I did was send it to my mailing list, my existing mailing list. Now I have um, close to forty thousand people on that list. Uh, of those, I'd say probably twenty-five to thirty thousand of them regularly engage with me, um, and the rest, the rest is composed of those unqualified leads primarily. So I've got a lot of folks on my list that that probably blocked me. Marked me as spam, unsubscribed, whatever. Well, they're not on my Those folks wouldn't be on my list anymore. But there's a great number of, uh, I think, fake email addresses from people who just want free books. <laughs> so um, I'm trying to qualify my leads a little more and do what, I, what we call segmenting. I want to I wanna, uh, categorize the leads on my uh, list. And when I say leads, we're really talking about potential readers or readers, right? uh, mostly potential readers. If you're, if you're discussing them in terms of leads, um, but I want to qualify these leads. I want to, I want to put them in categories. Uh, I need to, I'm trying to separate out the, the readers who, um, are excited enough about my work, uh, that they'll go through an entirely new registration process in, in order to get a free book. That's a qualified lead. Um, and I want readers. I want another category of readers who uh, you know buy the books. I know that they're buying the books. so I can I can do this as I sort of uh, nudge things in my email management service. I can find this information. Uh, and I and I'm making some qualified and educated guesses in a, a lot of times. Um, I can't know for sure that people who click a link to buy the book are actually buying it, I can kind of correlate that with actual sales. So it's an educated guess that if you clicked on this link, you're probably out buying the book. Um, so all this said, I sent the uh, short story to my list, and I asked them to share it with family and friends on social media and and in e- emails and that sort of thing. Uh, and they did. And there, I used a principle I picked up from a book called Influence. And if you haven't read it, uh, as soon as you're done with this episode, go get it in any format yet you desire, even if you go to the library and check it out, make sure you read this book. Um, one of the big takeaways that I got from that book was to offer a reason why, so uh, or a because. <laughs> so the idea here is um, you can ask people for something, and you got maybe a 50-50 chance of them doing as you ask. Uh, but the odds go up. Your, your odds of getting what you want go up. When you give someone a reason, when you say because, um, the example I think they used in the book was someone uh, waiting in line at a an office, uh, uh, one of these copier stores like FedEx Office it used to be Kinko's now it's FedEx Office, um, waiting in line for the copier, and someone says, uh, "Do you mind if I go ahead of you because I have I only have 100 copies to make?" Now, if you tell most of the time you're going to think you know someone's gonna say 100 copies I've only got like three so you know no and that that could be what happens a lot of the time Uh, but what they found in the in their research was that more often people would let them go ahead even if that number was ridiculous they'd let them go ahead because they said this is my reason because they said "I, I I need this we're wired to, uh, to help people out when we can understand why we're helping. So uh, always give your readers that opportunity as well. So what I did was ask them to do this, and I said, um, and I don't even recall exactly what I wrote, but I, I, it would have been something along the lines of, uh, could you p- do me a favor? Could you please share this with your friends and family on social media and emails and out in the real world? Because it really helps me to grow my audience. Because it really helps me to make more sales, which means I can write more books. Um, your reasoning can be pretty much anything. Now, the, the better your reason, the, the better the results you'll get, but just give the reader a reason why they should help you, uh, when you ask and why they should do what you're asking them to do and you'll get b- bigger and better results. So, um, so there was that I had them do that. What, I, what I ended up experiencing was, um, the reader, I had thousands and thousands. I had most of my list go and sign up for um, the uh, the short story, and they were very grateful. People who read it within the hour and uh, were they were asking me where they could leave reviews. That's a whole other thing I got to figure out <laughs> where where to leave a review on a short story that isn't published on Amazon or elsewhere. Um, and I got some ideas on that. I'll share that in another episode someday. But. um They were very excited about it and they went and shared it far and wide with everybody they knew. And the result was I ended up, uh, let's see, that was not quite two days ago that I sent that out. I've already got a good around 2000 new subscribers on my uh, mailing list. Uh, just from sharing that with my email and I shared it in, um, Social media uh, and I had some some author friends uh, kind of ping their lists with it uh, using all the same process all around, giving a reason why. so uh, that's two thousand new subscribers. Now, stop and think about that for a minute. Those two thousand new subscribers are what I what we're going to call qualified leads. They came in on a free story but they had to go through a registration process and a double opt in process because I use BookFunnel and, uh, to deliver these and I, it, it double opts these uh, leads. So they come in, they have to not only sign up for the story, but they have to verify their address, uh, basically verifying that they know they're going to be on a mailing list and that they're going to receive email from me. They have to do all of that before they can get this short story. Uh, so they're they're at least qualified in that they're coming in for the right reasons. They're the right audience because they're very interested in this story. Now, we're still giving something away for free. Uh, but uh, I, I feel a lot more comfortable about giving this short story away for free. Now, the key here, by the way is that that short story is, is only available on my website. One day I may package it and, and put it up on Amazon or elsewhere, but for the moment, the only way you get that short story, unless unless someone gives it to you, steals it and shares it with you, uh, the only way to get that short story is to sign up and be on my mailing list. Um, I see these as uh, very qualified leads. <clears throat> now, um, now that uh, I've been spreading this around, I'm watching that grow, that's pretty cool. Now, let me tell you why it's important to build up this list. (laughs) And first of all, I think I mentioned this earlier, but I use Facebook ads and that sort of thing to build my mailing list rather than to do direct sales. Because I can count on, uh, I can eliminate a lot of variables and I can understand uh, how effective my sales messages are and how effective my work is. When I control the audience that it's reaching f- from beginning to end, so um, I've stopped using Facebook to try to make sales. I know there are lots of ways to measure it, lots of ways to to uh, see how well the ads are doing. Uh, too much work for me, <laughs> and I've never I've never been able to do it as effectively as I like. But I I've I've been able to effectively use mailing lists um all along so here's how it uh kind of shook out for me with the launch of uh, the stepping maze now stepping maze is the seventh um dan kotler archaeological thriller seventh book in that series um i announced the pre-order uh toward the end of uh i think on christmas day I, i started promoting it christmas day um and I actually had set the pre-order on for January 25th. So the book has released as of, as of now. It's, it's, um, it's been out for a while. Um, I think I accidentally did the right thing in putting it late in the month. Normally I aim for middle of the month. But I think I did a, a, a very good thing in leaving it open for as long as I did. It gave a longer lead time for pre-orders. And, uh, and it ended up um, building up quite a bit of momentum. Um, and people got excited about it and it gave me more opportunities to push it. So what I decided to do, (laughs) I've kind of been doing this for a while. I've mentioned this on the show before. Um, I cut out all of my Facebook advertising for now. I've only got a couple of ads in, uh, AMS and they're for a couple of the books in the Kotler series, I'm going to be expanding that. Um, I think that those are useful. Although they're aimed specifically at sales. So they're kind of outside of my strategy here. Um, But basically what I'm trying to tell you is I did no advertising for uh, this book. I didn't even do what I would normally do, which is um, newsletter swaps. I didn't ask anybody to promote it. Now, right on the day that it launched, um, Ernest Dempsey sent it out to his list and I really appreciate that, uh but the bulk of sales that I got came before that day, so I think I'm pretty safe with my uh numbers and everything. I'm not going to give you specific numbers i don't I don't like sharing money <laughs> I don't like sharing how much something made. Let me just say, I already make a pretty healthy amount of money. With my uh, book sales, with these books in particular, the Dan Kotler books in particular, um, as of as of this launch, as of the end of January, January is the official highest uh, highest book income month in my life, bar none. <laughs> and in fact, it's so good that it surpassed the second best. by, by more than I could imagine at the time, um, it's that good. It's, it's been that good. So here's what I did. (laughs) I announced announced the pre-order, uh, Christmas day. So it was a good month out. Um, probably a little more. Actually, I think I did it before Christmas because the, the, uh, Antarctic forgery released December 15th. I think I actually announced this by the 20th. Um, I'll have to go back and check my records, but l- let's just say there was a minimum of 30 days in which people could, um, could order the book. So I sent the email out to my list, linked to the book. Um, and, uh, over the course of January, I sent at least five more emails that mentioned the book. Now here's where things might be a little different than what you're imagining. Uh, I didn't, every email was not about pushing, uh, buy this book. It mentioned the book occasionally, uh, but casually, which is a better phrase. What I was doing was using, I've talked about this before as well, I was y- using personable emails, actual human interaction emails. I would write, I, I've written um, these little historic essays, historical essays, <laughs> not historic, historical essays, um, fairly long. The emails are basically plain text, they are engaging. Um, I'll sometimes ask questions, which we call open loops in, uh, email marketing, uh, questions that I want the readers to respond with. I, um, I would do this and then I would mention, you know, by the way, if you haven't yet, my book, um, The Stepping Maze is, is available for uh pre-order at only $2.99 and it goes up to $4.99 after that. So you order it now to get the best price. Um. I kept those very low key. I mentioned it, but I kept the sales language out of it. I tried to make it a casual thing. Hey, you know, just thinking of you. just want to make sure that you knew this was here, still available, best price. Um, and that was a, a sentence or two. That's it with a pic, a little picture of the cover. And that's basically the only image that would appear in the email. No buttons, no, nothing fancy. I give them a link to buy it. I use uh, universal book links so that they can buy it from the, their Amazon store in their region. Um, and that's it. And the rest of the time, it's, you know, hey, here's what's going on in my life. Um, here's a story about um, the Nuclear Boy Scout. Uh, if you don't know what, what the story is there, uh, you're not on my list. Uh, <laughs> these, I, I, I pull these things together. Uh, and basically what I'm doing is I'm, it's content marketing, but I have a, a focused audience. I'm using content marketing to engage with the audience that I spent all that time and money and energy building. Um, and because they're on my mailing list rather than a Facebook audience or a blog audience or something along those lines, uh, the, the interaction is more immediate. It's uh, more personable. It's, it's got a, a far further, a greater reach, honestly, uh, because even though I might reach millions of people on Facebook with the right targeted ad, um, they There's so much of that kind of content out there that I don't have their attention. I'm f- out in Facebook and uh, other ad platforms. I'm competing for attention on my email platform. I have their attention. I may be competing with other things viscerally, but if they are on my uh, mailing list and they get an email from me and they're and they are voluntarily there, I have their attention. And so that's the perfect time to ask them, uh, to help you out and give a reason why. So in this case, it's, Hey, can you help me out and buy a copy, pre-order this copy of Stepping Maze because it's only $2.99 now, but it will be $4.99 the day after it launches. So, uh, so that's the, the gist there. You want to control your mailing list. You want to have that funnel uh, available. Uh, the funnel is for qualifying your leads. That's what the funnel's really about. It's not about sales. It's about qualifying leads so that you can get the sale later. Uh, the Facebook ads and Google ads and anything that um, that doesn't that isn't necessarily aimed straight at sales are all aimed at feeding the funnel. So so the I will in, I will start using those methods again um after my experiments are done but the idea there is to cast the net bring as many people as possible into the funnel the funnel qualifies them the qualified leads get the ask and when they get the ask they get the because and my odds of making the sales go up those 2,000 new uh subscribers think about it (laughs) if i'm if i'm selling uh let's just say i sell to half those people i make a pitch Buy the stepping maze or whatever for two ninety nine. Thousand people at two ninety nine. That's that's like three grand. So, if even half those people become loyal customers, I'm making pretty good money. Uh, and because I've spent the time to vet them and narrow it down, I have a bigger I have bigger odds, I have better odds. Um, so that's kind of the gist. Uh, I know there was a lot there. I hope I hope you got something useful out of it. I'm going to be expanding on this as I go. I'm gonna I'll talk about this some more. But if you got questions, pop over to wordslingerpodcast.com and fi- find this episode. Uh, this is episode 170. And uh, uh, pop over there and and uh, hit me up in the comments. And or if you can't find the episode or whatever you can't reach me, hit the contact button on that site. Send me an email. Ask me anything you like. Um, I am happy to. Uh, I'm happy to answer all questions. I'm happy to help out. If you're watching this on YouTube, I try to pay attention to the comments on YouTube, but I kind of forget. So forgive me if I'm a little slow to answer. I'm working on that. Uh, I am I need to start just checking <laughs> daily or something. Uh, but you can ask me there too. Um, but anyway, that's, that's sort of the gist. I, I, but I want to emphasize, I just had the best uh, book income month of my life. not saying I haven't made more money in a month from other gigs, but I mean, book income wise, I just made more money, uh, from a book launch than I've ever made in my entire career. And, uh, I did it with no advertising whatsoever. I didn't advertise it anywhere. This book never saw a Facebook ad. Uh, of course never had an AMS ad, never had a Google ad. I didn't do any newsletter swaps. I didn't ask anybody to spread the word about it, uh, other than my list. I asked my list to do that. But that's the point. I had a controlled audience, as vetted as possible, and getting better. I'm vetting more, um, qualifying more. But that qualified audience is loyal. They're big fans. They care, and if you treat them the same way, you're going to get more out of this than you could ever imagine. And that's why you want to focus on building your platform. Uh, and then a big part of your platform is really your your mailing list. There are other ways to build a platform. There are other ways to reach your audience. I know I know successful authors, wildly successful authors, who don't even have a mailing list. So it's not a requirement, but I will say it helps a lot and it, it makes things a lot easier and you spend a lot less time and money on advertising, which was kind of the point of why I was experimenting. So all that said, um, I hope you got something useful. I hope you enjoyed the interview with Christian Brown for sure. I uh, hope you got something useful out of this uh, this little end cap here, <laughs> um, and uh, let me know what you think of this new format, kind of a new layout of the show. Um, I want to get into the interviews as quickly as possible, because some people are here for that, but I want to make sure that people are uh, getting some useful content for their they're writing and marketing and that sort of thing, uh, here at the end. I'm, so I'm sharing my experiences at the end of the interview. So let me know if that's working for you. Um, it's kind of working for me. So I'll probably keep doing that for a while. So anyway, uh, we've come to the end. I'm going to go ahead and wrap us up. I hope you enjoyed everything. God bless you. I hope you have a wonderful weekend and a wonderful week ahead. Uh, if you're kind of caught in the polar vortex, <laughs> keep yourself warm. Uh, it's been mighty cold out there um but uh take care of yourselves i hope you're safe Uh, kiss and hug your families for me and i'll see you all next time hey thanks for tuning in to the wordslinger podcast now you can support this show by visiting wordslingerpodcast.com that's where you're going to find back episodes books by me and links to anything and everything wordslinger and be sure to subscribe to this show on itunes stitcher youtube and anywhere else fine podcasts are sold I'm Kevin Tomlinson. Thanks for tuning in and we'll see you next time.